Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. I'm going to be around my vegetables. I'm going to chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all, my favorite vegetable. The Beach Boys recorded vegetables in 1967, well before the current enthusiasm for carrots and cauliflower as a main or gussied-up side dish. During the pandemic, home cooks not only whipped up more vegetable-centered meals, but also sought out inventive ways to prepare simple but delicious everyday meals. Not just recipes from the Internet, but also in the pages of old-fashioned, prop-it-up-on-the-kitchen-counter cookbooks. Sales jumped up and are holding steady. The perfect time for me to savor a few of the latest, along with Amy Traverso, Under the Radar's food contributor. Amy is, as you know, food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of WGBH's Weekends with Yankee, and author of the updated The Apple Lover's Cookbook. As part of our ongoing Summer Fun series, Amy joins me now to share her short list. Hello again, Amy. Hi, Callie. I'm so glad to have this conversation because I have a few favorites for right now. And I've just been enjoying, as you and I have talked over the last years, kind of a evolution of cookbooks in terms of there being simple recipes that home cooks could really make. And this year, of course, there seems to be a lot of emphasis on vegetables. Which is such a good thing. I mean, for our health and for the planet, you know, we know we need to eat more vegetables and less meat. And we see that example played out, you know, even in Oak Cuisine. I mean, at New York at 11 Madison Park, Chef Daniel Hum has converted his Michelin-starred restaurant into a fully vegan restaurant where dinner costs about 700 bucks for two people to start. Um, and, you know, he's he's really made a full commitment to vegetable-driven food. So while we may not all want to be vegetarians, certainly putting more emphasis on vegetables at the center of the plate is where we need to be headed. And one of your favorite cookbooks now is Supernatural Simple by Heidi Swanson, the second part of that title is Whole Food, Vegetarian Recipes for Real Life. Why do you love it? Oh, I, lo- I really love this book. This book is solving a problem for me, which is I definitely, after a year of quarantine and, and some comfort carbs and everything, I, I want to clean up my act. I'm ready to <laughs> reform. And, uh, and, and yet I end up making the same few kind of vegetable driven things. I know I want to be eating more beans and pulses and more whole grains and more vegetables, but I need ideas. Sometimes I just run out of ideas, even though I'm a food writer and it's my job to have food ideas. I need input. I can't all be self-generated input. So Heidi has this great recipes that I cannot wait to cook. Her message is very simple. Switch your white carbs to brown, eat the rainbow, find 10 recipes you love and like get confident with them so you can play with them. And so she has dishes like this amazing chopped salad that's sort of almost like a 
cross between fettuccine and a chopped salad, mm. um, peanut stew with spinach and miso, a paprika spiked mushroom stew, ravioli and toasted almond broth, which sounds incredible. There's one skillet meals, there's sheet pan suppers, there's one bowl uh, baked goods. So everything is really made to be easy, 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 but fun. You know, there's a jalapeno cheddar soca, which is a chickpea kind of pancake. Mm. Um, I know my whole family would love that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I toned down the spice for the kid, but like these are all meals that I know my family will like. And then for the summer, there's the summer tomato and celery salad that I'm going to be making very soon. I'm, I love the idea of reimagining celery. I think it's this kind of behind the scenes veg that we we forget about and can't get too excited about. And not everything is like super duper, you know, health food store stuff. It's There's a French onion breakfast strata that actually makes use of French onion soup mix. Um, and that sounds incredible. So there's a lot here to play with. What I appreciated just, you know, looking at the book and and it's beautifully done is that she has plenty of swap outs if you don't have the thing. You know, back in the day, the the important vegetable restaurant was Greens in San Francisco, which was delicious. And I bought the cookbook. Amy, I have that cookbook. I don't think I ever opened it when I got home because it was just intimidating. But this is a whole other thing in the way that she has laid it out. You know, yeah, you don't need to have a pantry that is full of I mean, yes, she she has recipes that use nutritional yeast, but you don't need a pantry of like 50 kinds of dried vegetables and 40 kinds of, you know, tempeh. I mean, it's not it's not that old school, heavy vegetarian food. It's very Mm -hmm. much and, you know, moose would evolve as well over time. But I'm thinking of the early days. Um, This is fresh. It's colorful. It's light. Um, it's, it makes you feel happy and it doesn't take all day to do. That's the main thing for everyday cooking. Well, I'll raise you one. One of my favorite people, I just like him because because he's good natured and he's a real technician around the grill. You know, I am a barbecue master myself, yes. but even though I do not have the credentials. But uh, Stephen Reichlin has been writing on um, grilling. And there's a difference between grilling and barbecuing, but that's for another day. But right now, (laughs) he has a new book called How to Grill Vegetables. And it is fantastic. It's paperback. It's like a trade paperback size. And if you were ever were thinking to yourself, okay, well, I know I can slap a few asparagus spears out here on the grill and that'll work. He's just got everything, every, 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 everything. And he has it uh, divided up in the book by, you know, what has more water in it and you have to pay attention to that and what needs to have definitely a little grilly thing underneath it and what can go right on the grates that you have it. I mean, it just couldn't be more handy. It's yes. really good. <laughs> and and a lot of flavors, a lot of imagination. I love that there's like five ways to do gr- uh, grilled corn because I love grilled uh-huh. corn and, you know, wasabi butter and sesame or, you know, Thai curry and toasted coconut. Like how fun is it to explore that, you know, in so many ways? Yeah. And he's even doing tofu and stuff for people who are vegan. I mean, he goes there. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's He's all there. So that's a good one. We each pick three, and one of my other books is Bryant Terry's book, which is A Vegetable Kingdom. Yes. Uh, Bryant Terry has become quite popular. He's an African-American chef, and he says, this is interesting to me, that he began testing all these recipes, A, because he wanted to be healthy, but also he wanted his kids to eat it and expand their palate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, he's become quite popular. As we mentioned at the beginning, that cookbook sales are going up. His first run of this book 
sold 30,000 copies and they did wow. an immediate second run of for 50,000, which is highly unusual. That for is. A, a cookbook. <laughs> I am very <laughs> jealous of those numbers as a cookbook author myself. <laughs> so anyway, so we can see, do you think that the theme of vegetables as we're seeing it now in three of the books, two of mine and one of yours is going away anytime soon? No, I think vegetable-centered cooking is an inevitability. I think meat is expensive and lately seems ever more expensive. And I think people, lots of people who never thought they would look at it, buying an electric car or, you know, compost are doing all those things. And and having, again, I'm not saying an only veggie diet, but a more veggie centered diet is essential for so many reasons, for selfish reasons, for community reasons, and so for planetary reasons. I love the, the recipe I can't wait to make from this book. I mean, there's a lot of them. I know. I love his sensibility. And Brian's book is, it's just stunningly beautiful. It makes such a nice gift. The cornmeal fried oyster mushroom po' boy. How oyster (laughs) mushrooms. These are oyster mushrooms, not oysters and mushrooms. It's oyster (laughs) mushrooms. I mean, fried mushrooms are so good and putting them in a po' boy. Amazing. Mm. And Mm. it's very, this book is so seasonal. It really takes you through the whole year of fresh produce, which is so fun. I love it. Um, one of the themes from your first book, which was the simple and fresh with Heidi Swanson, the simple piece has really become important because people were paying attention. There was a whole lot of cooking going on during the pandemic, you know, some because of necessity, but also because people were discovering new foods and tastes and because you know, they were at home. So they said, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well explore. But the simple piece had to be paramount. And so uh, you've picked a book by Nigella Larson. Some people may know her um, because it's it's quite, uh, it has simple as a theme. And I think she's always had simple as a theme, actually, if you ask me. I think she has been one of the great champions of home cooking. I think when she came on the scene, which was, what, 20 years ago? This is, I think, her 14th book, 13th? Oh, no, this is her 12th book. Um, when she came on the scene, she she showed the world a vision of home cooking as sexy and interesting and fun. She's a strong advocate for enjoying food without shame. I love that she has a real point of view here. And this is a very personal book. This is someone who has earned some credibility, who's a really good writer, basically saying, this is what I'm loving to cook and eat now. These are all recipes that you can into your repertoire and enjoy. They're very doable. Um, she really talks you through becoming a cook. These are great books for experienced cooks and great books for beginners because she really demystifies things and teaches you technique that you might not know. And then the recipes themselves sound so amazing. A burnt onion eggplant dip, a fried chicken sandwich, lemon and elderflower drizzle cake, um, and then all these great recipes for... uh, There's a chapter called Much Depends on Dinner, and it's basically a pep talk for having people over (laughs) for dinner. I love... I mean, she's 
such a good writer, but I love how she writes about that thing where you, you get all excited and invite people over for dinner and then you start to feel stressed out and then you start to feel resentful. And <laughs> yes. she says, what a waste all the sociability through gritted teeth seems now. <laughs> she's so right. <laughs> she's, so she has like a great, you know, lasagna of love, chicken with garlic cream sauce, like dishes that you would be so proud to serve to people. And she just makes it feel very doable and delicious. Her name of the new book is called Cook, Eat, Repeat. And she's really clear at the beginning of the book that she doesn't see uh, cooking as something separate. You know how people say, okay, well, now I got to go cook. She sees it as, you know, thematically just part of her everyday life. So when she put this book together, that's what I want to feel like. Okay, so we're going to cook, we're going to eat, then I'm going to repeat. But it's not going to be a drudgery kind of thing. It's going to be a, okay, you know, we're going to sort of, ease into it. Yeah, she really invites us to think about cooking as a series of repetitive motions, like peeling a potato or peeling five pounds of potatoes, very repetitive. But if you look at it a certain way, it's a very meditative practice. You know, if you're not somebody who wants to sit and meditate on a mantra, peeling potatoes can do that for you, can put you in that kind of flow state where your hands are doing something and your mind is drifting and you're just very peaceful. Um, and I like that she's encouraging that. Use this as an, this, this is a daily practice. We all need to eat. Use it as an opportunity to wind down, to let go of the day, and to make something that smells and tastes amazing. Plus, as you're peeling the potato, you can see stuff is getting done, which is really yes. satisfying <laughs> as really well. Satisfying. <laughs> uh, I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guest is Amy Traverso of Yankee Magazine and GBH's Weekends with Yankee. We're salivating over our favorite new cookbooks as part of our summer fun series. Here's something that Francis Lamb, the radio host and vice president and editor-in-chief of Clarkson Potter, that's a major cookbook publisher, observed about the books that had come out in the 2020 that people were using in, you know, 2021. He said, there's not one story about how we learn to cook or learn to love or hate cooking during the pandemic, you know, which you might think it would be. Uh, he said, people just became more of their cooking selves. So which I thought was fascinating. So all of the how-to or or I didn't want to cook this or I learned to love this, none of those themes were the ones that attracted people to purchase cookbooks and to cook from them. People were wanting to just do more with their impulse and maybe even their commitment to cook, you know, as, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. And again, that theme of simple running through, which is why my third choice is Sam Sifton's book. I'm not a huge Sam Sifton fan. He's the New York Times food editor. Uh, but I was very intrigued by his book called See You on Sunday, a cookbook for family and friends. And it seemed to me that this was exactly the kind of feeling you wanted to have. But what he apparently and a group of friends were doing quite casually, you know, before COVID, where there would be large, when we say large groups, we're talking maybe, you know, 15 people. Mm -hmm. And they would come over and you would just make stuff and nothing fancy. Of course, he could make anything. We know that he could do that. But he doesn't. So he's picking out some really, really, really simple recipes, some old favorites. For me, what got my attention, there is a internet favorite, which has been around from the South a long time, called a Mississippi Roast, mm -hmm. where you just throw it in the crock pot and you 
throw a bunch of stuff on there that's very simple and it comes out right every single time. And that's one of his recipes <laughs> right. uh, in his book, in which he, you know, added a little something to, but he says, basically, I leave it alone because why mess with perfection? And <laughs> so that's... <laughs> So I think this is, you know, I I really appreciated it uh, for both the title. It just felt very homey and the message, you know, we want to gather together to break bread. And I think it's actually important for people who are seen as professional food people with credibility and maybe a little bit of uh, celebrity to really be clear about what home cooking is. I mean, I think we all think if we're not cooking like restaurant chefs, we're losers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And yet restaurant chefs have people doing prep work and washing the dishes for them, which is why, you know, I love asking chefs, what do you actually cook at home? And it is always so much more simple and it's much more like what we're cooking, but it's, it's maybe better. It's maybe a little more imaginative. There's, the technique is great, but really there's only so much you can do in a given day with one person in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to demystify that because I think that keeps some people out of the kitchen. I think you're right. And he makes the point here that it's for family and friends. And so when you have that, you're not in the space where, as Nigella said, you've invited people over and you like them, but they're not your close intimate group. And now you're mad because you feel like you have to do (laughs) do more. But his thing is, in this group of people, we all sort of take turns. We bring different things. Uh, It kind of has a potluck quality to it. And the actual dinners upon which he based the sentiment of this book started, he says, years and years ago when they were, you know, younger, didn't have much. Um, And so, you know, it's comforting is the word Mm -hmm. that I'm looking Mm -hmm. for. It's comforting, which I uh, actually really, really embrace. Was there a cookbook that you turned to a lot during the pandemic, Amy? Um, I, I was trying to cook, you know, out of, I have a big collection of cookbooks, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and I was, was trying to kind of work my way through. I was spending a lot of time with Julia Child because I just thought I had, I was home and I had time to tend to some of the recipes that were a little more labor intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I was certainly reading a lot of sourdough books because I did jump on that trend. Um, <laughs> and and so I, New World Sourdough was a favorite. And the Jim Leahy books on sourdough, those were really great. And some Nigella Lawson food was really speaking to me. And yeah, I think those were the ones that, that oh, and also this book called Deshoom, which is um, mm inspired by the, it's a small chain of Indian restaurants in London that are some of my favorite places to eat. And so when the book came out, it made me really happy because there's no chance I was going to get to London, but I could at least make a couple of the dishes at home that that really livened things up here. Okay. Well, your final choice is called The Arabesque Table. And I looked at its beautiful book and I, I think I thought to myself, well, I have a sense that I've seen or have a feeling for some of these recipes. The author is Reem Cassis, and she says she's bringing her Palestinian heritage to the table. I was a little bit surprised that people were unfamiliar with Palestinian food, but I would think that I think we think we know because it feels like it's kind of Mediterranean. Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, well, so and her first book was the was called the Palestinian Table, and this book um, is in the course of doing that book, she started to explore well what defines Palestinian food versus you know Syrian food, and so she got really deep into the history of Arabic cuisine, and mm. so what this book does is it sort of pulls together the common threads of all of these cuisines, and it 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 dabbles in the history of why there's this overlap, why these ingredients came to dominate she cannot do the full history in the in a cookbook but she does right. a good job of doing the cliff notes version and then from there she pulls out sort of the, the ingredients that speak to her most and does some really fun fusion with them and she argues that arabic cooking is fundamentally a fusion cuisine influenced by migration trade and occupation and so she she has these really like garlic yogurt spaghetti with pine nuts, mm -hmm. uh, which sounds so good. Tomato salad with labna and za'atar, mm -hmm. um, you know, pita burgers. If you haven't made, it's a traditional recipe. It's, it's basically a, a dish where you cook the meat in a pita. Um, I have done this. It is so delicious and you can do it with hamburger or with lamb burgers mm. uh, all kinds of there's even a schnitzel chicken schnitzel recipe with za'atar tahini toffee pudding i just the the flavors of these dishes spoke to me so much after a year in quarantine mm. i think the kind of global flavors really spoke to me and the fact that this isn't just fusion for fusion's sake. It's really rooted in history and in cuisine. So I just found this one really inspiring. It just kind of woke me up and got me excited about cooking again. Well, there's two things about her. I mean, she's the ultimate home cook because she had a, woo, a postgraduate degree at the London School of Economics, stints at the global management consultancy, McKinsey and the World Economic Forum. You know, she wasn't <laughs> developing recipes before she did this. <laughs> no, I, I love her story because she kind of, she tells the story that she really her whole life worked to get out of the kitchen because she saw that in her mother's and grandmother's generations, they were kind of confined to the kitchen to some extent with gender roles. And she wanted nothing nothing to do with it. But as she moved around the world, she found that food was the thing that made her feel connected to home and made her life have that meaning. And so she found her way back to the kitchen with, with her all her degrees. You know, she's a, she's a really smart woman and a, a great writer. And she's also doing really wonderful work about sort of building bridges uh, in the U.S. She works really closely with Chef Michael Solomonoff in Philadelphia. Mm. And, you know, they've done these kind of dialogues around Palestinian and Jewish and Israeli food. And even though they don't agree on, on everything, they, they are kind of a living example of, of managing to stay connected even with disagreement. And I think just on a very micro level, there's, there's something hopeful about the way they are sort of ambassadors in the world. So interesting. And I, the other thing I wanted to point out is that you can now say Zatar, and most people would know what you're talking about and are using it. So, you know, she comes to the table with her book, The Arabesque Table, with ingredients that might have seemed so foreign in the past, but are not now for a yes. lot of people. And, I, and, you know, I had to say Boston was one of the places where these flavors were first popularized. I think, you know, the work that Anna Sorton did and not just on a, a lot of chefs running lots of restaurants in Boston. I think Bostonians somehow got an earlier preview of this 
kind of Eastern Mediterranean slash Middle Eastern food craze that now seems to be just about everywhere. Um, and everybody knows sumac and zatar and, you know, all these ingredients, falafel. And, um, and it's great because it's such amazing food. And I think a lot of places that were still stuck in, in the Mediterranean being just Spain and Italy have really, you know, expanded their horizons. So my question to you if the pandemic didn't kill book sales, in fact, it went the other way, should we all just stop worrying about, you know, cookbooks be- becoming extinct? I mean, we have this conversation all the time, but hey, you know, I think people are still finding great use for them. Yes. I mean, I think recipes on the Internet serve a purpose, but they there is a just baked in limitation to the allure of online recipes. And I think that there's something about the act of looking for inspiration to cook that really lends itself to a book format. And so I feel optimistic about it. I think there will be shakeups. I think, you know, clearly the chefy recipe books are not popular right now. I think it is about vegetable driven. It's about home cooking, simple. Um, And those are all great trends because that's going to get us cooking more. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I will say I I had a laugh looking at uh, this season of Top Chef where they had an episode. The challenge was to write recipes. And, you know, <laughs> these are really good chefs. And so they did. And then they had to have other chefs cook the recipes. And you could see how much was left out. So the, the care by which the authors of these books uh, put into making sure that those of us at home really can make what they put on the page is I have great respect for Yes. And, and, (laughs) you know, a well, I, I, when I look at cookbooks, I look at the recipes, how are they written? Are they written in a way that is like, kind of, you've got a friend in the kitchen with you guiding you. That's what I want recipes to read like. And these all, all the books we've discussed do a great job of that. And they're fun to use too, Amy. (laughs) I have to add that. Thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Amy Traverso is our under-the-radar food contributor, the food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of WGBH's Weekends with Yankee, and the author of the recently updated The Apple Lover's Cookbook. Well, that's it for this week's show. We're on the web at WGBH.org News, Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubelee and Angela Yang, and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Iptisam Imaliki. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>